Love in Paradise is Dr. Joel Hunter's sermon series, and his fifth message is entitled, Not Staying Alone. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter will use the second chapter of Genesis, verses 22 through 25, as a scripture text, and it reads as follows. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And now... Let's join in for Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Not Staying Alone. Now, why is that? And why did God make us so differently so that the communication was not automatic? Well, turn to the second chapter of Genesis, and we will read yet another installment from the creation story, beginning with verse 22. Read with me. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. From, Greek is ek, it means out of, it denotes difference and distance. Read with me some more. And brought her to the man another minor reference to being distant. Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The second explicit denotation of the man and the woman being distant from one another and different from one another. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother the third distinct reference to difference and distance. Leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Then, the Bible says, the two shall become one. Now, why, when God was making man and woman, did he make them differently? Why didn't God clone? Did he not think of cloning? There is a very important reason And this is the last of our messages on why God made people for relationships in order to prepare us for himself. Why all relationships between people are really apprenticeships toward God. And how all of our relationships prepare us to love God as he deserves to be loved. Number one, the reason that God created distance and difference between the man and the woman is so that he would call us out of ourselves. Let me tell you something that is almost heresy these days in these United States. And that is this. The word self-improvement is an oxymoron. You don't improve yourself. There's always an outside reason. There's always an outside call. There's always an outside motivation. To improve. And God knew that. Adam would have been trapped within himself like all of us are trapped within ourselves when we're born. 
And Adam would have been diseased as all of us are diseased with selfishness if God had not created somebody very different for him. Do you know, I believe, one of the main problems in the world today is the fact that people are trapped inside themselves. It is the definition of mental illness. People who are mentally ill are literally trapped inside their own world. They can't relate to other people. They believe things about the world. They believe what goes on inside their head is real. Why? Because they're trapped within themselves. What is immaturity? Immaturity is being trapped within yourself. It is believing that the whole world ought to revolve around you. It's believing everybody ought to think like you think. And everybody ought to cater to you. Why? Because you're trapped within yourself. What is um, the, the form of... Well, I'm not going to go down that path. Let me, let me not stay too long on that. Let me go on. It is very important that we note that men and women are different for a reason. Now, some of this is inherent. Some of it is cultural. It doesn't matter. We're different. And God in his providence has seen to it that we would begin to believe and know that we are different. Now, let's just take that for a moment, and because I, I think sometimes in this culture, in the unisex culture, we've got to kind of convince ourselves of that. There are a number of books out on the market, secular books, they're not even Christian books, that will denote the difference between men and women, and, and, and they're very accurate. One of the, one of the latest ones that I, that I kind of like because of its introductory story is a book called Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. book written by John Gray. And uh, it's it's introductory story. It's a little fable. It's just a little you know, uh, uh, little story that kind of illustrates. It says, once upon a time, all men inhabited the planet of Mars. They were born there, and they had their own culture. Mars had values, and and the values were power and competence and achievement and success. And all of the men knew that. And so when they talked with one another, they understood one another perfectly. At the same time, all the women were born on Venus. And they had a very different culture with very different values. And their culture esteemed conversation and relationship and beauty and sensitivity and feeling. Well, the book says in this little allegorical fable, that the men from Mars flew over to Venus. And they began to build relationships. And the relationships were very successful. Because they knew that they had come from two different cultures, two different worlds. And so they worked very hard to translate what they wanted to communicate into a language that could be understood by somebody from a different culture. But, the story goes on, there was a time when the men from Mars and the women from Venus came down to Earth, and a terrible thing happened. They got amnesia. And they forgot that they were from two different worlds. And to this day, men expect to be understood by women for what they say and what they think, and women expect to be understood by men, even though they're from a different world. Now, 
I like that, not because it's biblical. We know the real story, but I like it because it creates a difference. Men and women are different. You know that. You know men and women approach problems differently. Now, please, what I say is a, is a gross generality. This doesn't apply to every individual. Some people are different. Some individuals have different degrees of this. But in general, I think it's true. Men believe, literally believe, it's their, their job to come up with solutions. And so they will always talk in terms of solutions. Women believe it's their job to come up with suggestions. They don't care whether you follow them or not. You know, it's just, they're just trying to help out. They're just trying to get the conversation going. But a man won't let you get a sentence out of your mouth without offering a solution. A woman comes home, says, I'm sick of my job. The man will go, well, quit. See? He's missed the whole point. He's offered a solution there. A man wants to, a man's main agenda is to get rid of problems. It's to get him out of the way. That's why with most men, if you start to complain about something, he'll look at you and say, no problem. No problem. Why? Because he wants to get rid of it. He'll solve it for you. He won't listen to you about it. He'll offer a solution. Why? Because he believes that's his job. You know, don't give me this whiny, feely stuff. I believe I can solve your problem. Now, the women, and if you reject, if you say, I mean, if a woman says, I can't quit my job, he feels rejected. Oh, my solution, you don't like what you think I'm stupid, don't you? I, see? Because he's so tied in with this solving business. And a woman just kind of wants to talk about it a little while. You know, we don't, we don't need to solve this thing right out of the gate. Let's think of solutions together. This is wonderful. We have a problem. This is something we can work on. This is something that can build up our relationship. A man doesn't want to fool with a problem. That's why men and women communicate so differently. Women can communicate forever. They can talk about something and will talk about something long after it's solved in a man's mind. Yeah, isn't it true? Men, we're getting amens down here. Men, men will say, why are we still talking about this? I thought we took care of that days ago. Women will say, well, I'm just sharing my feelings, you know. Well, let's get on here. Men will always wonder what the point of a conversation is. Sometimes they'll interrupt the conversation and stop and say, what are we trying to get to? So what's the point of this thing? Well, we're just communicating. See? Women, women don't understand that men don't want to talk about a problem until they have thought it through and come up with a solution because men don't feel worthy to enter a conversation without having an answer. And so therefore men will withdraw, Grace says, into a little cave till he thinks it out and comes up with some sort of solution and then when he's got a solution, he'll come out and he'll present the solution. Won't talk it through, he'll just present the solution. See? Men want to be needed. That's a part of that whole thing. Women want to be cherished. Men don't know what cherish is. Remember that old song, cherish is the word. <laughs> Men don't know what that cherish is the word that used it. They don't know what that is. They want, they want to sing that deal. They just, they want to get to business. They want to get to business. They, men and women look at things differently. They look at clothing differently. Now, imagine this. If I could give every person in here a closet full of 400 different outfits, women would walk into that closet and think something completely different than a man would. Women would walk into that closet and think, A, what will express how I feel today that matches where I'm going? How can I wear an outfit that says, this is me, and start a conversation with somebody else who likes this outfit? <laughs> some, some woman told me last night, that's not exactly it. Women walk into the closet and go, 
What will make me look thinner? Okay, all right, granted. All right, granted. But they're, they're, you know, they're into the expression thing. And they, and they want to go places where they can express how they feel. If a, if a woman and a man are in a store and she sees a sequined dress, she goes, oh, I want, oh, I want to wear sequins. I feel like sequins. Let's go someplace that I can wear sequins. And a man will go buy the dress and wear it around the house. <laughs> totally. Over to him. He's being proud. Why? Because a man looks at the, what's the minimum dress requirement for me? That's what a man does. That's why I think so many men come to Northern because there's no dress requirement, you know? It's, what, what can I get away with? A, a man won't want to wear something different every day. A man will have a favorite outfit, a favorite pair of shoes. I love these shoes. I've worn these shoes for 14 years. Got them resold 27 times, you know? When a man loses those shoes, when the fo- tops finally fall off, he has a little funeral in his heart. I'll miss those. I'll miss those shoes. A man, a man will, has a favorite pair of pants. You know he'll say, how many places I could wear those pants? I could wear those pants everywhere. I love those pants. I'll never have a pair of pants that fit me like that again. See, man has favorite. Why? Because he's functional. He don't want to express himself. He just wants to cover up his nakedness and go where he needs to. <laughs> men and women, men and women are dead. Men, I've told you this before, men and women travel differently. Now somebody sent, somebody sent me a, a cute article this week uh, saying that Men and women ought to travel together before they get married as a test for the marriage. Drive someplace that requires at least a 24-hour drive just to test. You know why? Because men are into this achievement, goal-oriented, I'll take care of you. And they say, my assignment on this drive is to get you from point A to point B. That's my job. And so he'll just go for it, you know. And a woman will be sitting there and she'll say, Well, let's just pull off and look around. <laughs> he don't want to pull off. That's not in his job description. The worst thing that ever happened to men was Cracker Barrel restaurants. <laughs> worst thing. Absolutely the worst. You connect a store with a restaurant and we're cooked. We hate those things. Rocking chairs on the thing, for crying out loud. We hate those things. Why? Well, because they're not in our job description. We're, our job is to get you someplace. And by the way, that's the reason that men won't ask for directions. That's the reason. Somebody said they saw a keychain one time that said, you know why Moses wandered in the desert for 40 years? <laughs> You know the punchline to that, don't you? You know what, though? This is scientific fact. This is, this, is a, this is a surveyed fact. Men won't stop and ask for direction when there's a woman in the car. If there's not a woman there, we'll pull over. You know why? Because we think, look, if I'm not even competent to get her to her Aunt Tizzy's house, how's she going to think I'm competent to help her with her whole life? I don't want to fail. This is my job here. This is my deal. So we've got to, we, we travel differently. Men and women get sick differently. Men, <laughs> for men, <laughs> I got, I'm going to get in trouble now, but for men, the illness is the agenda. <laughs> men have two, men have two ways of getting sick. One is this silent suffering. You know, don't talk to me. I'm sick. 
Don't want you to see me like this. Don't talk to me. Talking is work. Leave me alone. The other way is men can be the biggest babies in the world. Oh, my head. Oh, my throat. I feel hot. Could you give me something? You know, on and on and on and on. Just just horrible babies. Women get sick differently than that. You know what women do? They feel something coming on. They can be sicker than dogs. And they they keep watching for signals for permission to be sick. Is it okay? Have I got time to be sick? I don't want to, I don't want to impose on you. I'm dying here, but I don't want to impose. And so men need to say four or five times, go lay down, go lay down. But after they do lay down, they want to be asked, where does it hurt? How long has this been? It hurt in your head or your t- you, you ever had this before? Well, you know, so and so. They want to talk about it. They say, they'll say, sit in the room with me. What possible reason could you have to sit in a room with a sick person? That doesn't get anything done. Sit in a room with me. Well, men and women, I won't go on forever about this, but just, you know, I I want you to know men and women have different, when it comes to, I know, see, I can I can go take a little longer tonight, although I can't take very long because Tim informed me they have choir practice at 7.30, whether or not I'm done. So... But just a little bit longer, uh, because I know this is mostly a singles group, and so I just want to, just want to warn you, because a lot of married people have found this out already. Men and women have different things about intimacy. Women can sustain steady intimacy. Men get intimate and feel close, and they immediately withdraw. Did you know that? Men are men are like like. Because they're into this power thing, when men start to feel close to a woman, two, two thoughts occur to them. Number one, I'm surrendering my power. I'm no longer as strong. And number two, how can I accomplish anything for her if I'm dawdling around with romance? And so men will withdraw because they're afraid of losing that, that power. But women, I want you to take heart and stay put. Don't chase him because it's a rubber band thing. He'll be back. He'll be back. He will. When he's had enough of this accomplished, he'll probably bring you some accomplishment back so that he can be close to you again. He probably will. Yeah, I went out and earned some money today. Yeah, probably will. But, uh, but women think, you know, they think, well, you know, what have I done? You haven't done a thing. You haven't done a thing. Men just withdraw. It's just their rhythm. Just the way they do things. And, and men, women, men, I need to teach you this. Women count every little thing equal with big things. I mean, you can fly her to Hawaii or you can write her a little card they'll mean the same to a woman. Mean the same. Men can't figure that out. See, they go for the big stuff. Men go for the special things, you know. Let's build up really good, you know. Nah, women, you can, I, I wrote my wife a little note on a post-it note the other day. Just a talk, Hunter, I love you. Hunter, she saved it. And I said, why did you say that? It makes me feel like I don't tell you I love you very often. And she didn't say anything. <laughs> but little things mean a lot to women. Men think, well, look, we had a couple of big things. Just remember those. You know, just remember it. If you ever, just, you're supposed to, you forget? I told you that last month. I told you I loved you last month. No, little things. Well, anyhow, the point is this. The point is, and I went on a little bit long here because, because you've been more responsive than anybody else. 
I can tell encouragement. I like. The point is this. God made us different. Now watch this, because I don't want you to miss the point. Because the spiritual world is so different than the physical world. And God wanted us to be prepared to love in a completely different way than we're used to. Than is our world. Look at John 3.3. When Jesus said, Unless you are born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Why did he say that? Because the kingdom of God is completely different than your physical world. There's no way you can get there physically. He said, whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Why did he say that? Because they're completely different. And so, if we can love another person who is different, if we can work to love them in a way that they can receive it, to express it in a way that they appreciate, then we can also understand that God, who is a holy God, the Bible says His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. You know, when you can tell when a Christian is totally immature because they, they talk, talk about my good buddy Jesus. You know? Well, that's okay starting out. But after you understand the God of the Bible, you will realize, as Rudolf Otto said, that God is totally other than you and you will feel your creatureliness and you will understand that he is God and you are not and there's none of this new age we're all God stuff you I got to understand that that the the Lord your God is one there's only one God and we're not him he's totally different and the process of holiness is the process of learning to love him as he deserves to be loved not as we want to love. So, the process is that we have to leave our world. The Bible says that a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, you've got to realize this. This was an editorial by Moses who wrote Genesis. Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother. So therefore, this is a principle of us all. In order to go on the walk of faith, that will carry us to glorify God in a way that He deserves, we have to leave our environment of safety, our environment of familiarity, our environment of predictability. Because that's what faith is. Faith is walking where you don't know where you're going. And it's leaving those things that make you very safe. It's growing up. You know, the language that He called the great saints on the faith walk was language exactly like we're talking about. The language in Genesis 12.1, where he came to Abram and he says, Go forth from your father's house to a land which I will show you. When he came to Moses, he called him out of the Pharaoh's palace. And then he called him out of the, of the comfortable life as a shepherd to take him on a faith journey. He didn't know where. Moses didn't know where. But he risked it. When he called the disciples through Jesus... Jesus would go to the disciples, read the first chapter of Mark, and he'd say, follow me. And it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, Jesus said, follow me. And it says in verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. You get the picture? 
There's a leaving involved in faith. And there's a leaving because it is so wonderfully risky. God has put into every one of us the desire for the faith adventure. The desire to to place it all somewhere. Now, we have been successful in our flesh at domesticating that desire and belittling it and diminutizing it until we take lesser forms of adventure. That's why gambling in these United States is at an all-time high because we've got this desire for adventure, but we diminutize it into gambling. Well, I'll play the lotto. And that will give me a little thrill. It's not predictable, but at least it's not all that risky. Well, I'll play video games. Uh, It's not predictable, uh, but at least it's not all that risky. See, we domesticate it. Well, instead of following Christ, I go to church. Once a week, won't hurt me, probably improve my life. But instead of saying, God, I'll follow you anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll reduce it to a religion. It gives me a little charge. But I don't have to go into all that risk business. You know what? Yes, you do. You will always be dissatisfied with your relationship with God until you give Him your whole life and you follow Him anywhere and do anything He says. You know why? Because you were made for adventure like that. That's what Vernon was saying with a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's not that our dreams are too little. I'm sorry, they're too big. It's that they're too little. Our desires are too little. We were made for bigger things. We were made for total risk. I don't know whether or not... I don't want to run out of time. I I run out of time a couple times this morning. But I don't know whether or not you remember the first time you noticed the opposite sex as a desirable thing. And somebody very attractive came in the room. I don't know if you remember that feeling. I raised three boys. And I was around these boys when they made their transition, the last one most recently. He's 13 years old now. And he just, the last year, started to look at girls instead of girls. And when they kind of were sweet on somebody, and these girls were fixed up, and they walked into a room. I don't know what girls do. I didn't raise girls. But I know what boys do. Boys make sounds. They do. They don't know what to say. But boys do this. And they don't know what this is inside here going on. Kind of feels like they need to go to the bathroom. Or throw up or something. But they know that's not it. They know that's not going to solve it. There's this tremendous draw. And they have what Rudolph ought Otto called this, this mysterium tremendum et fascinans. It is being so fascinated with something so totally other that you've never thought about before that you want to run, but you can't. You've got to find out what this deal is. You've got to chase it down. See? Not a bad analogy for following Jesus Christ. We want to run. This wonderful grace that God's given us. We want to run this tremendous ministry that God's given us. But we can't. Because we're fascinated by this God. And so we're left with only the third choice. And that is to cleave. That is to 
put your life in the hands of another. Now, we do that in some ways when we get married. We do that in some ways when we have a best friend. We do that in some ways when we have children. But we do it in the ultimate way when we believe on Jesus Christ and rest our life totally on Him. And we realize that our welfare depends on Him. There's a wonderful custom in a tribe in Africa. That tribe has as its custom, when they first get up in the morning and they walk down the streets, there's a a little litany they go through. And one approaching will say, Are you well? And the other will automatically respond, I am well if you are well. That's it. You see how our wellness depends on someone else. That's it. Now let me give you one more illustration and we're going to we're going to then afterwards have a, a, a number from uh, Fiddler on the Roof where there's a young, terrified girl who has gotten this love for her fiancé who's a radical and she must follow him anywhere. And she's trying to explain that to her father who has loved her and kept her in his house in safety. And she's going to go with him this young radical into some dangerous territory, dangerous because of his beliefs. She's trying to explain that to her dad. But before I do that, let me tell you the ultimate analogy that we want to get to. We want to talk about what it is to follow Christ, because he's our young radical. I, my mind goes back to a picture of a rope over a river that swung out. The, many boys and some of you girls remember these things. That... In the old days, we had those ropes that swung out and, and, and you, or swung out, and, and you had these, you could drop in the river when it was high. But some rivers didn't stay high all year long. As a matter of fact, some rivers receded and there were rocks there. And not only that, but crawdads. We used to tell people, you know, if you drop down there, hundreds of crawdads will eat your flesh and you'll die. <laughs> cool. Well, in this one river, There's not just one rope, there's two. Because to get across the river, you can't do that with one rope. No, there's a a rope tied onto a branch of the tree on the other side. And so to get across, you have to swing out. And you have to have somebody on the other side swing you the rope at just the right time. And you've got to intend to transfer all your weight on that other rope. Because I give you my word, one thing that will not work is hanging on both. Trust me on this one. (laughs) So, we have a decision to make. The decision is to whether to stay with the familiar or to follow that one who comes to us and makes all of the other dreams grow dim. Would you stand for the closing prayer? Dear God, there are many people in many spiritual places here tonight. And I believe that there are some who have never understood that they need to place their full weight on Jesus Christ in order to get to that heavenly kingdom. That believing intellectually is not just enough. No, there must be a trust and a following of Christ. God, if you're speaking to their hearts tonight, help them to transfer 
to rest their lives totally on Christ. And for those of us who are saved, God, but yet still resisting that total transfer, still trying to play it safe, God, make us so dissatisfied with little things that you can call us on that great adventure of faith, following Jesus no matter where he leads, ministering. And Father, as we do that, help us also to love each other in ways that the other person needs to be loved, not in the ways that we want to love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Service is ended. Go in peace.